Happy July, everybody. You know I hate to waste your time with a news update, but this is something I gotta tell you up front all this month to make sure everybody hears it. And that is that on the fourth anniversary of the Plus system, the start of August 2018, we are raising the cost of admission by a little bit to $8 a month. I wrote at length about the whys and the whats and the hows in the THC newsletter, which we're going to call the Higher Side Herald from now on, and I'm going to be much more consistent with it now that it's got a proper name. But read that on Facebook or Twitter if you really want to get into the details, but here's what you need to know. If you're a current Plus member, you don't have to do anything if you want to stay on board the commercial-free and action-packed two-hour ride we got going on here, but the price will be going up in August. If you've prepaid for 6 or 12 months in advance, that time is covered. You're already in. But the next time the system needs to charge you, whatever level you're at, it will charge you at that new rate. It's a change I've been torturing myself over for a while, and the Plus members who have given me some responses have all been really understanding. And I can sigh the sweet sigh of relief. But I'm sure we'll lose some people too, and I'm prepared for that. But please make sure you click on my account from the plus menu bar and cancel before August 1st if you must. The rest of you first hour only folks have a little more time to get in on the ground floor as they say, but even at $8, I think we're still an alright deal when you consider what else is out there. I hate to do it, but even Amazon Prime has raised the price on me twice in the last few years, and I think they have a lot more members than me, and I'm not asking for a key to your front door. We're still going to have five top-notch monthly treks into this weird and conspiratorial world with the best guests in the business, but I'm also going to sweeten the pot with a monthly video session of good times and open lines where I will sit by the phone for you, dear people. And we're going to call them joint sessions. Clever, right? So that's the news in THC land. I know, I know, say it ain't so. But as the guy who actually depends on this thing we got going here, nobody's more anxious and nervous about a big change than I am. So thanks for all the support and for not biting my head off too much. Now let's do the damn thing. Puppet masters almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know, unless you really do Where would we be without THC? We know the lying to us, just don't know to what degree Where would we be? Carwood and Company Higher Side Chatters, if you're paying attention, then you see that our world is awash with poisons. Fluoride and pharmaceuticals in the water, aluminum and other heavy metals in the sky, a soup of toxins injected into our infants, a thick grid of high-frequency signals in every populated area, and of course, radiation boxes in our kitchens, living rooms, and in our pockets. And with so much happening at once, all the regulatory agencies properly captured, and most people living in ignorance, to pull apart, isolate, and assess these threads is nearly impossible. 
but many researchers are making the case that these shouldn't be considered in isolation, but as multiple arms on one big campaign to permanently change our environment and our bodies as the capstone cabal makes room for their own building blocks of what today's guest calls pseudo-life. Her name is Sophia Smallstorm, and THC fans know her well. She was first here to break down the elements of Sandy Hook that didn't make sense in what became the first Higher Side Chats episode banned from YouTube, and then she returned a little over a year ago to talk about biological darkness, technogenetics, and the content from her presentation, From Chemtrails to Pseudo-Life, The Dark Agenda of Synthetic Biology. Well, she now has a part two in what is becoming the From Chemtrails to Pseudo-Life series, and it's called Living in the Manhattan Project, which tackles the history and horrors of radiation, and why exactly the nefarious few have made sure there's a cell phone in nearly every pocket. Of course, she is still going strong with her monthly newsletter, The Avatar Update, her website, AboutTheSky.com, and her store full of products to beat back the bad guys and restore your health at AvatarProducts.com. A real pleasure to have her back, a fellow SoCal conspiracy chronicler, an educator at the Big School of Scandals, and a passionate advocate of natural life. Sophia Smallstorm, welcome back to The Higher Side. Greg, you're such a good writer. (laughs) Thanks, thanks. Yes, it's all part of the nine to five at this point for me. (laughs) I try. You do a great job. I mean, you're very fluid and expressive, and it's a pleasure to listen to those kinds of introductions. I mean, you're praising me in that introduction, and I should be embarrassed and blushing, but it was very well written. That's the point I'm making. (laughs) Ah, well, you're too kind. I mean, it is a small, small contribution to the situation where you're doing most of the work and most of the research on these really cutting edge and really complex things. So it's just a treat to have you here. Of course, you know, I listed in the intro a lot of major health concerns. Seems like there's some kind of attack around every corner. But if we're going to talk about radiation specifically, I love that subtitle, Living in the Manhattan Project. And I think a lot of people just think about the Manhattan Project as the quest for the atomic bomb. But there is a lot more to that project and the history than just that chapter, isn't there? Oh, yes. Greg, I did that presentation a while ago. But it never fails to stun me how widespread the quest for expanding radiation in our lives really is. And just to put it in a nutshell, they want everything to be radio responsive and robotic. And this is why that kind of technology and all of its progressions into higher and higher oscillations That's why it's being introduced at such a speedy rate. And what it can do for us is very, very hard to resist for people. And I suspect there are a lot of nefarious ruses and plans at hand. May I mention one or am I jumping gun? Please. No, let's do it. This past Christmas, there was a rash of thefts, strange people in dark SUVs with tinted windows, and they were wearing suspicious-looking clothing, and they were following Amazon vans and UPS trucks. And then they would grab your boxes right after the driver left them at your door, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I had such a theft one Christmas. Something was delivered to my door, and I never got it. 
although the UPS driver swore that he had dropped it off. So anyway, I suspect now that this is a ruse. This is just one of my wild theories to have us allow Amazon the keyless entry. Yes. You know, they can come inside. I've heard that they're doing this with cars as well. They can enter your car or your house and drop off your package. And let me add another thing. Occasionally, I tour television, you know, the cable channels and even the regular channels just to see what they're showing. And I've noticed on HGTV, that's the home improvement cable channel, every single remodel, every single purchase of every single house always, you know, is lauding or requires open floor plan, stainless steel appliances. I love all this light, natural light. And you know what that is for, Greg? It's for surveillance because they've got to have open floor plans so that your devices can surveil properly so there are no walls in the way. And they've got to have appliances that are reflective and lots of natural light so that this secret spying can go on. Mm, yes, I mean... <laughs> Me and my wife, our aesthetic is open spaces and big windows, but I never really thought about how that change in architecture is working right along with all these other campaigns. I mean, it is so multifaceted and everything kind of points it that way. That's an interesting point. Yeah, because, you know, I come from the East Coast and the houses there, especially the brownstones in New York. They were built with very small rooms. Lots of rooms had fireplaces. And the whole idea was to keep the heat in the room. And these open floor plans, I'm thinking this is over the last few years, before I figured this out, what I just said, that this is not sustainable. I mean, you're going to have horrible heating bills trying to heat these giant spaces in the winter. And then it hit me, no, no, it's for observation purposes that they want all the dividing walls removed. Mm, man, so tricky, these people. And great point about the Amazon entry also. I've seen enough articles to know that's definitely in the cards. Maybe like you said, it was an op to just be like, oh, all these people are having their packages stolen. This is how you shop. So I guess you're going to have to let these drivers in. You know, problem, reaction, solution. Have these Amazon CIA drivers check in on your new Alexa device. Because we're going to have to have one of those in every home, too. And they themselves have already been the subject of several weird news stories, like when they all started cackling some creepy witch's laugh all across the country. And a few other stories, too, that involved them doing things they were not asked to do. And eventually, with all these smart devices and surveillance, I could see where they're going to start policing us. And it's going to be like 2001 A Space Odyssey, where you go to give it a command and it'll just say... I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. And we're going to start taking direction from these devices that people actually paid to put in their own homes. Yeah. And Skype has added a feature that gives you these nifty little responses that you can click on instead of typing your own response. Mm. So it's obviously in the chat, reading your question or the last thing you wrote and then giving you a, oh, that sounds great. Good for you. These simplistic options that you can click as your response. And I explained that to a friend. I said, no, it's doing your thinking and speaking for you now. 
And pretty soon we're going to get to the point where we can't even conceive of what we think. We have to turn to a machine to do that for us. Well, it absolutely speaks to what's really one of the major threads of your work and these presentations you're doing, which is the merging of man and machine. I mean, if it's watching us and then talking for us, I mean, we are kind of fusing all of our autonomy, giving that license over to these devices that really, (laughs) we should consider that. I mean, it is kind of the totalitarian tiptoe and it comes incrementally, but I mean, I think we should pump the brakes a little bit. People should be wising up about now. We should slam on the brakes, not pump them a little bit. (laughs) Indeed. And I liked your term, capstone cabal. Oh, (laughs) well, thanks. It's just, of course, a flowery way to reference those people at the top who clearly do drive the agendas because there's just too many companies and different compartmentalized or even unrelated sectors that all seem to have a cohesive synergy. They're all moving towards the same thing. Someone's got to be behind that, even if we don't know the exact faces and names. Right. And you know, the newsletter that you and I spoke about quickly before we started, I included a section about dopamine Mm. and how we are using, we're interlocking and interconnecting through this, what I call the 2D world, the two-dimensional world of screens and phones. And we have gotten our dopamine feedback loop hooked into it. So we are seeking things like thumbs up and likes. Instead of, for instance, a genuine smile from a genuine human being, that's the best thumbs up you could get. And we don't even lift our heads to notice any such thing. I'm right there with you. And in your newsletter, you do talk about a guy, Camille... Pal Hamitia, he has a strange name, but he was a software developer and venture capitalist born in Sri Lanka. He was the head of AOL's instant messaging division, and then he made his way to Facebook. And this is a quote from him. He says, the short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops we've created via social media are destroying how society works. No civil discourse, no cooperation, misinformation, mistruth. This is a global problem. It is eroding the core foundations of how people behave by and between each other. But I can't control them. I can only control my decision, which is that I don't use that shit. I can control my kids' decisions, which is that they're not allowed to use that shit. And that is a huge thing to say from the guy who created a lot of this. And sure enough, we hear Steve Jobs also doesn't or didn't allow his kids to use Apple products. I've heard some allusions to Bill Gates saying he keeps his kids away from some of that stuff. And it's like, again, they're kind of telling us we're billionaires and we don't put that stuff around us. So maybe you shouldn't either. Yeah. But again, the modeling that's being done around us by television shows, everybody's got a phone stuck on their head or their ear and everybody has to consult their phone all the time. And we know this. We're in the Ain't It Awful Club right now. We're in the main meeting room of the Ain't It Awful Club, you and I. And that's (laughs) where lots of these shows hang out, you know, the discussion. But it's very easy to break an addiction. I mean, 
leave your phone at home, for God's sake. I was watching somebody walking into the water at the beach, trying to roll up her pant legs with her phone in her hand and having a difficult time doing it. And I thought, why don't you just leave the phone on your towel? <laughs> it's a big ask these days. But I also wanted to, uh, I guess, ask you about just the effects of radiation in general. Of course, this all comes to the cell phone, but there is a long history. And obviously, people know that radiation isn't good for us. But what are its real effects on the body as far as your research shows? What's it really doing to us? Well, let me explain it in terms of the spectrum and how I give you kind of a visual verbally of the electromagnetic spectrum. So it exists. There are electromagnetic waves in nature. And an electromagnetic wave is a very specific wave. Sound, for instance, is a pressure wave. It operates differently than electromagnetic waves, which occur when electricity travels. I'm not a physicist, and it's difficult for me to grasp because I haven't spent years studying this, but those waves, as they swirl through a medium or the air, they actually produce two fields that are at 90 degree angles to one another. So there is an electric field which runs vertically and a magnetic field which runs horizontally. So that's called an electromagnetic wave. And lightning causes those on the Earth. And lightning goes off like 200 times a second because we're talking about a lot of territory where there are all kinds of weather and storms happening. So those lightning bolts, they put through the topography, the surface of the earth, a very mild electrical current. It's terribly mild. And it's called a free electron flow. So electrons are flowing freely through the surface of the earth. And they have actually become a life stimulus for pretty much everything alive. And you've heard of this earthing grounding. When people are barefoot on the earth itself, or trees rooted in the ground, plants growing in the ground, animals walking around. The conductive materials, which are mainly water and then all kinds of minerals in the Earth's composition, they conduct that electron flow. So the Earth's natural electromagnetic waves top out at 40 hertz. That's 40 cycles per second. That's how fast how many times the wave wiggles. All electromagnetic waves travel at the same speed, which is basically light and electromagnetic wave. It's the speed of light. And light travels at the speed of all electromagnetic waves. And what we have going here is that the natural EM spectrum is short. It's from zero hertz to 40 hertz. And our body prefers to run between seven and 12 hertz. You've heard about brain waves and such, where they go between 7 and 12 cycles per second. And then you've got some surges, and those surges occur in thunderstorms, particularly violent equatorial thunderstorms, and that tops out at 40 hertz. And then we had the advent of electricity that was running 50 hertz and 60 hertz right into our houses. And there was a physician at Loma Linda medical school in California in the 70s, W. Ross 80, 
he started to question, what is this doing to us? Because this is higher than what we're used to. And that's only 50, 60 hertz. Now I'm going to jump to the other end of the electromagnetic spectrum, where you have very high oscillations coming from elements of the earth. So these would be natural that are breaking down and that are what we call radioactive and they're releasing particles. And so they're emitting very high oscillating waves that are definitely harmful to us. You know that radioactive uranium and thorium and all this stuff is harmful, right? Mm -hmm. But guess where that stuff is, Greg? When I was thinking about this a couple of months ago, it just hit me. I said, it's buried in rocks. It's in mountains. It's deep. It's away from where biology goes. And so nature has sequestered those materials that emit harmful frequencies from most of biological life. So that's good. That's nice, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. So then we have this enormous void on that electromagnetic spectrum. Visible light occupies part of it, but we've adapted to that. We need visible light in order to locate, to navigate the physical world. So we have adapted to those frequencies. We have things like radar and sonar and ultrasound and infrasound. And those are sound waves. So other animals use those to locate, but they're not the same as electromagnetic waves. So what man has done is he has fiddled with the crystalline materials of the earth by imposing voltage on crystals of all kinds and frequencies upon crystals of all kinds. And he has used a concept that Pierre Curie identified and named in the late 1800s called piezoelectricity. Piezo is a Greek word. I think it means pressure. I'm not sure. The piezoelectric effect is the baseline way that biology functions, that life functions, because when frequencies hit a crystal, the crystal generates a voltage, and when voltage hits crystals, they generate frequencies. And frequencies can be translated into force, mechanical pressure. So that's how our body works. Our body is an electric universe of actions. And we have crystalline materials, piezoelectric materials, all over the place. The minerals in our bones, the composition of the cytoplasm in the cells, that's the watery part of the cell. There are piezoelectric bits on the exterior of the cells. And whenever frequencies hit those crystalline materials, voltage is generated and vice versa. So this is how the body works. And man has taken crystals, quartz crystals, they even use metals. Crystal just means it has a very uniform internal structure. And they put frequencies and voltages on crystals and they generate voltages and frequencies because the crystal is a very flexible, wondrous medium in that it can do this. It can generate some other kind of force by receiving force A, it generates force B. By receiving force B, it generates force A. 
And this they've put into industries of all different kinds. So our electromagnetic spectrum that used to be blank is now full of man-made radiation. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I think that's a great overview. And something else I wanted to address early on in the conversation about radiation is this growing segment of alternative researchers who push the idea that nuclear weapons are a hoax. They have some arguments that can seem convincing if you're largely ignorant about the subject. And I'm sure you're aware of this because you know what's going on in alternative circles. And it's a side topic that a lot of flat earthers have added to their repertoire. And I know you've been open to that. So I doubt you'd be in denial about something like atomic weapons or the effects of radiation, if there was any truth to that. What would you say about this nuclear hoax theme or say to the people who subscribe to it? Well, you know, Greg, at the end of the day, I can only insist that something is true or not true if I have seen it with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. So... I happen to know people who grew up near Hanford in Washington, which was a huge refinement plant. I think it had to do with plutonium, and there was a lot of sickness there, people in a lot of ill health because of living in proximity to places like that. The Manhattan Project, if you read The Fluoride Deception, which is a book principally about fluoride, but it has to incorporate a tremendous amount of history about the Manhattan Project. And you read about how New Jersey was transformed from what used to be called the Garden State into a state of industry. And the enormous explosions that occurred, the uranium hexafluoride and different kinds of fluoride-related explosions occurring at these Manhattan Project plants throughout the country, and how horses fell to their knees, cows as well, entire orchards withered and died. Something happened there because there's a generation of people who actually lived through that and they suffered all the consequences. And then The Fluoride Deception by Christopher Bryson, it's an extraordinary book. You should bookmark it. It's a fantastic read, but it also tells us all about the enormous number of injuries to workers, musculoskeletal, other kinds of injuries to the skin. And America was very loyal in terms of patriotism during the 50s and the 40s. It did not want to bother the government with things like litigation because of injuries from working. There were hundreds of thousands of people employed in facilities, factories, plants that had to do with the Manhattan Project, refining uranium and working on these so-called non-existent nuclear weapons. And these people got sick. They had enormously dangerous, severe conditions that involved degradation and degeneration of joints, muscles. And there is a very famous report detailed in The Fluoride Deception, an eyewitness report, a woman from the Cuyahoga plant, Manhattan Project plant in Ohio. What's very interesting is they were putting blacks to work with fluoride because fluoride is so volatile. It's the most volatile element in the periodic table, and it can actually pull ore, metal ore, out of rock at room temperature. And it burned white people's skin. They couldn't handle it. 
white skin is not as tough. It doesn't have as much melanin. Melanin is a structural component of skin. It's a biopolymer. So people with dark skin have tougher skin. And they had to put blacks in the depths of the plants where they had to shovel. I guess it was piles of fluoride. I'm not sure exactly what it was. And there was a big explosion at this Cuyahoga River plant one day. Everyone went tearing out of the place, and this woman is running. She was black herself, and she said she looked behind her, and here are all these black men running, running, and their skin is hanging in shreds, and muscle is ripping and tearing and coming off their bodies. Now, what is that from? Wow. Oh, my God. That's a creepy visual. But those are really great an interesting historical counterpoints to that idea that radiation isn't harmful. And, you know, I guess nuclear weapons aside, nuclear bombs aside, radiation hits us in many different ways, and it definitely isn't good for us. And I also like in your presentation, the slide where you lay out the way the names have changed over the years when it comes to the organizations, because we have the Atomic Energy Act of 1946, and we see the Manhattan Project continue on as the Atomic Energy Commission. Then the Atomic Energy Commission becomes the Department of Energy in 1977. And then the Department of Energy becomes the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection in 2011. And usually if they add protection to the name of any department, you can bet they're doing the opposite. So I thought that was really interesting because it does show kind of the way things morph over time. And we have such short collective memories that we just forget. And Greg, to be fair, because I like to be fair to everyone, I have not heard there are no nukes crowd in the alternative movement say that radiation is not dangerous. I haven't heard that myself. And I've heard people who definitely embrace this, there are no nuclear weapons theory, I've heard them say that, no, radiation, ionizing radiation is dangerous, but the Manhattan Project did not exist to develop nuclear weapons. So I'm going to make this point now. Maybe it's a good point. There are different kinds of radiation. There are two basic categories. One is the ionizing radiation. It's also called thermal radiation. It heats tissue. And the other is the non-ionizing radiation. I think ionizing has to do with the disturbance within the atom of electrons and particles. So radio frequencies, what we're going into 5G, supposedly, and radio frequencies start at 300 megahertz, and they go up to, I think it's 30 gigahertz. So mega means million, giga means billion. So just let's do a quick comparison. Your body likes 7 hertz. Your brain and body, they like 7 to 12 hertz. Hold out seven fingers. That is what your body prefers. Now, Wi-Fi is 2.4 billion fingers. The old cell phones were 850 to 900 million fingers. That's oscillations per second. And the fact is that while there is no immediate heating effect on tissue, according to the regulatory agencies and their funded studies by their cronies, 
we do have cumulative damage and we do have immediate damage. We do have an effect that I believe is piezoelectric. Dr. Martin Paul is a researcher who has begun to talk extensively about voltage-gated calcium channels. So as I mentioned before, the cell is decorated with openings that are controlled by voltage. And Paul, Dr. Paul says, P-A-L-L, Martin Paul, that when radio frequencies hit your cells, remember, all frequencies translate to mechanical force. And frequency on a piezoelectric material produces a voltage. So radio frequencies from your phone or whatever, a cell tower, hit the cell and they excite those piezoelectric materials in the membrane of the cell, the wall of the cell, and voltage goes off. And those voltage-gated chat openings, they open. And calcium influxes the cell. Calcium is what is called a cation. It's positive. And it's, in my interpretation, I'm, this is a lay interpretation. I've never read this anywhere, but I've reasoned it out. Calcium comes in, it's positive, and it's going, hey, I'm positive. I want electrons, which are negative. Give me electrons, give me electrons. So millions of calcium ions come into the cell, and they start robbing the cell of its electrons, which is what the cell needs to do its maintenance. And so all kinds of imbalance and dysregulation starts to go on in the cell. And the cell goes, well, I don't know what to do about this. I can't stop this calcium. I can't fix the damage that's being done now inside me. And the cell gives up. It can die. It can become diseased. Or it can go into an ongoing psycho life drive, which means it starts to replicate, 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 subdivide, subdivide, subdivide. And that's cancer. Hmm. I mean, you definitely have done your research on this stuff that is just really complicated. And, you know, we're building to this case about cell phones primarily, I think, because it is the thing that most of us interact with on a daily basis that is probably killing us. I think it's going to be the cigarettes of our age where everybody's doing it and everybody was told there was no problem and then it's too late. I was unaware of this name, Dr. George Carlo, until your presentation. But, I mean, he's done some studies and made some pretty big disclosures about cell phone safety. And he's a name everyone should know, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he was one of the early names. He wrote a book, Cell Phone Hazards in the Wireless Age. And it's a very simple book to understand. He was actually hired by the telecom industry in the hopes that they had full expectations that he was going to disprove that cell phones were harmful. And they relied on him for positive findings that would favor them. But the fact was, he came up with the very opposite, and he was bold enough to make that known. And I learned later that Carlo was really, really harassed. His house was burnt down. He went into hiding, and he's really not heard from much now. Yes, I actually copied from your newsletter a section where you had copied Dr. Carlo's letter to AT&T's chairman and CEO, and he says... At the briefing, I explained that the well-conducted scientific studies that WTR was overseeing indicated that the question of wireless phone safety had become confused. 
Specifically, I reported to you that the rate of death from brain cancer among handheld phone users was higher than the rate of brain cancer death among those who use non-handheld phones that were away from their head. The risk of acoustic neuroma, a benign tumor of the auditory nerve that is well in range of the radiation coming from a phone's antenna, was 50% higher in people who reported using cell phones for six or more years. And also the risk of rare neuroepithelial tumors on the outside of the brain was more than doubled, a statistically significant risk increase. And he goes on from there on a couple of different things, but it's all the same. Brain tumors, increased cancer risk. And this was a book written and a report done and research done in 2002. Think about how fast cell phones are upgraded and changed. I mean, I don't even know if there was a smartphone in 2002. And now it's like these things are computers on steroids and they're rolling out 3G, 4G, 5G. And it's way more intense than even the time when the study was taken. And the study is telling. Yeah. You know, Greg, and I have to say, I learned now that highly important and influential people, they don't have just one cell phone. They have nine or ten. Mm. And there's this one high-end realtor in New York. She has nine cell phones, and she carries them all, many of them in her purse at one time. And the reason for these different phones is that you then have business cards that give the phone number on each of the phones, and you hand those cards out with the numbers in order of lesser importance to people of lesser importance. And you don't answer the phones of lesser importance. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So this way you can tell people who are anxious to keep in touch and I'll let you know when I have a property that you might be interested in. You can give them a phone number that you don't really answer. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, you have to have multiple phones. But when you carry multiple phones around, I've had people come to do work in my house and they work for this company or that company, you know, construction or something, and they have three or four cell phones, one in each pocket. And I make cell phone shielding cases. I've actually given these people multiple phone cases, kind of like a tip or a gift. Mm -hmm. And I show them how to use it. And one guy came over, he was actually a handyman, and he told me that when I showed him a cell phone case, I said, here, you can have this if you do the work for me today. He told me that every time his phone rang, his femur, that's the long, big bone in your thigh, would vibrate to the ring. And I said, you know, that's not good. That means that the piezoelectric crystals in that bone have now tuned to the phone. They're responding to the phone. And he said, sometimes my phone isn't even in my pocket and my thigh vibrates. So I gave him a cell phone case and two or three days later, he came to do some more work. And I said, well, how's that working, the case? And he said, guess what? When the phone is in the case, my leg doesn't vibrate. Huh. Wow. Well, that's great. At least there's some things we can do. You gave me one of those cases as well. And... I imagine it's quite helpful. I don't feel any effects from my cell phone that I know of or from the Wi-Fi radiation that I can feel, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. And I also was going to mention this because a lot of people might think that someone or some agency would protect us in these cases, but that's just so naive. And they've preemptively protected themselves because in 1996, the cell phone industry was deregulated. So... 
really, just as they were rolling this out, they had to make sure there wasn't any safety standards on the legal side. And you also mentioned in the presentation, there was no pre-market testing. And these are the kind of things that I think should really be red flags, especially I talk about this in the back with the vaccine issue too, is like the absence of certain studies is very telling that they know what it's doing and they have to make sure that data isn't out there and available to the public. Like the absence of it just shows you that there's some kind of nefarious plan in place because otherwise just test the stuff, test it normally before you put it out and there won't be any problems. But when you omit those tests and you form legislation preemptively to make sure that an industry is deregulated before you throw it all out there. I mean, that just to me is so telling. It's a real red flag. And you know, Greg, because of the years of use of these technologies now and their integration into our daily lives, people are becoming much more sensitive And some people are developing what's known as microwave hearing, microwave auditory effect. And once this starts, it's extremely, extremely painful, disruptive, and very difficult to withstand. I have at least one, if not more, friends. One is extremely microwave sensitive now, and she hears an ongoing scream in her head pressure builds up and pain in her neck and head and shoulder builds up from exposure to a cell antenna or somebody using microwaves in the house. She's had to go to great lengths to shield. And she was the first person in New York State to achieve the removal of her smart meter because there is no opt out in her area. The smart meters that are on all these houses are also very, very harmful. It's not just the phones. The smart meters relay now at, they have a 900 megahertz relayer, but they are pinging every few seconds. They're gathering data, they're surveillance gadgets, and they're transmitting this data. Actually, a lot of them are doing it through power lines, which is very, very bad because your electric lines are not supposed to be taking radio waves. They weren't designed for that. Smart meters are making people sick, cell phones are making people sick, and the numbers of people becoming sick, let's just make it simple, we won't call it sensitive, sick from this stuff, it's just exploding. So the initial symptoms are symptoms of what we attribute to stress. We don't feel good, we're worried, we're nervous, we're anxious, we don't sleep well. And we think it has to do with issues in our life. But what I'd like to point out is that the world we live in by day is ideally supposed to be very different from the world we go into at night when we sleep. And people are not entering the night world properly now. Our body reverts from sympathetic nervous system operation, which is our alert, fight or flight type mode of activity, even on the neurological level, we're supposed to go into parasympathetic mode at night, which is rest, digest, sleep. And parasympathetic nervous system operation employs a whole different kind of hormonal activity, neurochemical activity, and it 
lets us go into a state that is very deep, very relaxing, so that our cells can do a whole lot of really important restoration. In fact, to put it simply, your body doesn't want you to do anything, doesn't want you to move. It wants you to lie still for seven, eight, nine hours, whatever it is, so it can do its repairs. And this doesn't happen with routers in the house, with cordless phones, with cell phones, and even with the amount of exposure people get to all those things during the day because they use them in their daily lives. So people are sleeping poorly, which means they're repairing badly. And if you add that up over years, take yourself ahead into your 50s and 60s, and you're going to feel like crap. And you're going to be showing it. And you might then have terrible sensitivities. You might be having all kinds of pain and weakness, infirmities that are related to radio frequency overexposure. But who is going to tell you that? Exactly. Who's going to tell you that? And everybody's waiting to be told from somewhere. And they're also waiting till they feel the effects. I'm guilty of that myself. Is that I digest a lot of this material. I hear from great researchers. The case has been made, but it's hard to clean up your act before you feel effects of things. And once you start to feel it, it's probably too late. And so I think a lot of people are out there hearing things like this and they're in denial or they're just thinking, well, you know, maybe it's not going to affect me or maybe my body is strong enough to withstand these signals. Don't make excuses for that and don't wait until it's too late to make the changes you can make in your life. You know, there were probably people smoking cigarettes when doctors were recommending them on television and they still knew that it probably wasn't good for them. You can tell that you're coughing and hacking stuff up. You can tell. So don't wait for authorities to tell you and look out for you because it's just not going to happen. You know, you mentioned we got cell phones, we got smart meters. And we should also throw in some time for glyphosate because that's pretty bad as well. In fact, you mentioned to me that it's actually worse than EMF damage. Can you talk to us about why it's so bad, why it's actually worse? Well, Greg, yes, I'm learning. And, you know, just until a couple of weeks ago, glyphosate was another word in my vocabulary, something I knew was bad. I knew GMOs were bad. I knew certain reasons why they were bad. I knew that I should avoid them, and I do whenever possible. And because I have familiarity with this product, Restore, that I've been selling in my avatarproducts.com store, it's been phenomenal. I did really well with it last year. I take it myself. It is a no-brainer. And for folks listening in the first hour, I would say iodine magnesium restore. And the first two cost very little. They'll make massive improvements in the way you feel. And the second one is a little more expensive. But anyway, Greg, glyphosate and what it does in the body, how it masquerades as the amino acid glycine is horrifying. And I'm just now finding out about that. It's entailed listening to presentations by Dr. Stephanie Seneff, who is in computer science department at MIT, but she has been studying human biology because there is an overlap between human biology and computer science in terms of algorithms and industry. Technology is very interested in how biology works because it wants to marry itself 
So not to contaminate your impression of Dr. Sena, she is a brilliant, brilliant woman, and her work in many areas of human biology has been extremely important. But she talks really, really fast. She's extremely scientific in her vocabulary, and I've had to slow these YouTubes down and sit there and take painful notes, but listening and re-listening to the talks has really helped me to understand the depth of the harm that has been let loose on us, unleashed on us from the use of glyphosate. I would say that while radio frequencies are agents of damage par excellence, meaning unrivaled perhaps, and radiation as a category, so let's not just say radio frequencies, let's include the ionizing radiation, the materials with which the body repairs itself are often and primarily protein materials, and one of the most integral amino acids in the composition of proteins is called glycine. Glycine is used throughout the body, and glycine and glyphosate are almost identical. Glyphosate is glycine, but it has a nitrogen atom that is, let's just call it, overstuffed. There's a certain molecular issue with that nitrogen. It's like one suitcase in your car, somebody has packed too many clothes in it. And while it fits in your car, it doesn't fit well. So this glycine molecule that has been substituted with glyphosate in the human body is what is causing so much wreckage because the body can't do its repairs with proteins that contain glyphosate. And proteins are the structural transport mechanisms of the body. They are extremely important and they must be assembled correctly. So what happens is when we eat, there are basically three categories of food. There's carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. You're familiar with all of those, right? Correct. And digestion breaks the carbohydrates down into sugars, saccharides. It breaks the proteins down into amino acids. And it breaks the fats down into lipids. And these become materials that are assembled. They're like building blocks. And they make new compounds, molecules that our body uses in its metabolic processes. So when protein is built in the body for repair purposes to cells and tissues, and glycine is the simplest and most prevalent amino acid used to form proteins, and the glycine is not correct, then the protein doesn't do its job. So effectively, you could say that the presence of glyphosate in modern society has ensured that we don't do the correct biological repairs. Mm. Ensured that our bodies don't do the correct biological repairs. Man, concerning stuff, I know it's complex, but we have to try to understand this because there is no one watching out for our safety. You almost have to become an expert on this stuff because you can't trust the people who claim to be. And there was a couple other things I wanted to try to squeeze into the first hour, but one of them is that, okay, so we've made the case that this is dangerous, all these things. What can we do about it? I know you shared some things over a nice dinner we had not too long ago, maybe things you're doing or maybe things you know of that other people are doing. What sort of countermeasures should people know about? Well, when it comes to radio frequencies, 
let's just call those the agents of damage in our lives. Now, naturally and necessarily, those are not the only ones, but they are a big category of damage-causing forces, right? Mm -hmm. So we can shield, and the best shielding, the only effective shielding is a physical block between you and the source of the radiation. And that's usually a shielding fabric or a shielding paint or distance because these radio frequency waves become weaker with distance. So the farther you are from your cell phone, if you must have it in the room, would you just please keep it several feet away? You'll hear it. You can run over to it and answer it. But if it's within even a foot of your body, it's going to hurt you. And definitely don't carry it on your person. Don't put it in your bra. Don't put it in your pants pocket. Buy a shielding case. You can get one from my store. And that has a barrier in it, which will protect your physical body from the waves that are coming out of the phone's antenna. You'll still get the calls and the messages. If there's a cell tower near you, you know what? You can try to fight it. Or you can just move. But the thing is, we're getting into fewer and fewer options as to where to move because they're even putting cell towers in the national forests now. Mm. There is all kinds of supplementary nutrition you can take that isn't even expensive. Iodine, magnesium will help your body to rebuild and repair in significant ways and neither of them costs a lot. I would not advise that you put any little magical sticky things on your computer or phone there's a big racket in that these little stick-on devices that can cost 50 to 80 or 90 dollars do not protect you from radio frequencies so barrier method it's like a condom barrier method works <laughs> that's something people should be able to remember and of course, you call this series, a lot of the content that we're talking about is in this series called From Chemtrails to Pseudo Life. And that's an aspect we should really get into in the second hour, but we can also mention it in the first. How is this technology, this radiation type stuff, how is it actually lifelike? Well, I did draw a lot of parallels to a condition called Morgellon syndrome in those two pseudo-life talks. And that seems to give us some evidence that there are odd materials being formed in people's bodies that are self-replicating, meaning they grow on their own and independent of our biology, but they are growing within our biology. So how are they lifelike? I'm not exactly sure how to answer that other than technology is deeply interested in biology and has been trying to imitate it for a very long time. For instance, who was the most interested in dolphins and whales and not because they thought they were spiritual or cute? The U.S. Navy. The U.S. Navy created SeaWorld, the oceanography institutes like Woods Hole and Scripps, the theme parks, the marine uh, aquatic parks are all offshoots of the Navy, for God's sake. And they are funding research into communication of whales and dolphins, cetaceans, whose brains and whose auditory capabilities are 
off the charts. They are so, so sensitive. I did a whole newsletter on this. Sometime we could get into it or I'll just send it to you. I really believe that technology is now hotly pursuing the recreation of biology with its own componentry. And one day, we, with our human energy, may actually be supporting technologies. For instance, this is called human energy harvesting. They have figured out ways to harness the vibrations that your body creates every day that they call wasted energy. Like when you blink, it's wetting your eye and mixing an oil with your tears to keep your eye moist and keep it from drying out. But it's a wasted motion that could be harnessed and turned into millivolts AC. When your pant legs rustle, they could be equipped with piezo nanowires as you walk, and those vibrations could be converted into millivolts AC. As your blood flows in your veins, the venous return, that can be transposed, converted into millivolts AC, and you can run your cell phone yourself. You won't need a battery. So this is a new frontier, human energy harvesting, so that human energy can support technology. Yes, this is exactly the kind of thing I was getting at with the question, because as the technology becomes more lifelike or more able to use biological systems and just plug into them, like you mentioned in a couple examples there, you also spoke about the Samsung Institute doing research into phone charging just based off of the voice. And some of this sounds interesting on the surface, but we only get one life. And now we're talking about using that life's energy to charge and power non-loving things. And aren't a lot of the topics we talk about on shows like this related to the elite or the system draining us of our energy, like across the board categorically and all these different ways? Now with these devices, it's like becoming more of a parasite and host relationship, very akin to the Matrix. And it's a pretty scary concept. You can already see how so many people would just welcome that if it means getting that Facebook notification instantaneously. Now, I believe, Greg, it's not going to be a matter of volition and preference. It's going to be forced on us because we're going to all be brainwashed in scarcity, sustainability. People will happily volunteer themselves. Seriously, a lot of this is piercing. You actually have to pierce your body right now with the energy harvesting jewelry, for instance, that they've designed. It's quite satanic. I mean, maybe at some point they're going to refine it and you can just simply tape or fasten or be in contact with a piezo nanowire and it'll pick up the vibrations because it'll be that sensitive. But for now, it might be cool and optional, but the day is going to come when you will be penalized if you put a battery in your phone. It's going to go on record somewhere. It's going to cost you a hell of a lot of money. And you're only going to be allowed this many per year, some such thing. Mm. The rabbit hole goes deep. And in terms of today, really amazing and important work. When you lay out the history, the depth of research, the people who have spoken out over the years, the rapid push for smart everything, it's absolutely a good case that there's something dark and nefarious going on behind the scenes, as is usually the case. Before we go, tell people about your websites so that they can watch your presentations and get some of those products people might need when dealing with the current state of things out there. 
My store is Avatar, A-V-A-T-A-R, just like the movie, products.com. I have a second store called survivalmodestore.com. We're all in survival mode. I share that store with a couple of friends. It has similar things to my store. My store has a little bigger selection and is serviced by me. And then the quickest way to my postings online, they're kind of daily. My blog is sophiasmallstorm.com. About the Sky is the main website, but I've left it alone pretty much. I do podcasts occasionally, but they haven't been so occasional. You can go to the podcast page and check them out. I've done actually quite a few. And then I'm all over YouTube, one of my favorite hosts. And Greg, you're becoming, you're running second to my buddy Sage of Quay. Ah. Because you're just such a good interviewer. But I mm. love doing interviews with Sage of Quay, Mike Williams. And if you go to YouTube and you type in S-A-G-E of Q-U-A-Y, Sophia Smallstorm, you'll hear a lot of my interviews about the subjects often in my newsletter. My newsletter is by subscription. You have to make an annual donation. There are instructions on the website under the newsletter tab. SophiaSmallStorm.com will take you to the newsletter page. And that's pretty much it. You can go to YouTube. I do not have a YouTube channel, but you can find me on YouTube presenting about this, that, or the other. And I'm kind of a hack, Greg. I hack away. <laughs> I try to answer my own questions, and I have a lot of questions, and that's kind of what makes me thorough, you could say. I don't mean to brag or anything. <laughs> no, you really are one of the greats, and you synthesize a lot of great information, and that was going to be, I guess, one of my final things is, are there other primary sources out there that you would recommend for people? I think everybody has to develop their own little library of where they like to go, and I don't have feeds on my websites, because I believe that you have to look for what has she posted on her blog. You have to go there. It has to be voluntary from you. It has to cross your mind. Because if I sent out an email about this post or that post is new, it would be irritating. Most people, they get too many of those. So I want it to be interactive by inspiration, right? And I'm happy to do interviews with other hosts. I want to develop these kinds of interviews, Greg, where we just wander. And to me, they're richer. I don't want to do an interview about chemtrails. That to me is not as interesting as a discussion about how it all ties together, which is the kind of thing you have, the path you've taken us down. And thank you for that. Oh, man, I'm, I'm only here to ask questions, but you have so many great answers to them. And that's what makes it work. I appreciate all the time and attention you put on this stuff. I really appreciate your dedication. I know you well enough to know that you walk the walk as well as talk the talk in your regular life. And I admire that commitment. It's tough for me. Daily challenge. We're working on it. So until next time, take care of yourself out there. And thanks again. Thank you, Greg. Big hug. <laughs> of course. You too. And boom goes the dynamite, ladies and gentlemen. The always on it, Sophia Smallstorm, a local whom I had a nice dinner with not long ago that also included David Matheson, Mark Devlin, Benny Wells from Joy Camp, if you're familiar, and his girlfriend. 
And I'm sure anyone hearing that conversation around us thought we were a bit out there, because we really ran the gamut. But Sophia and I got talking about cell phones and radiation damage that night, and I just thought, man, she really knows her stuff. We need to get her back on, and I'm glad we did. This is absolutely a concern to me. I don't know how much I actually alter my life because of it, but I think about it a lot. Cell phone radiation is going to blow up eventually. And something about the whole nuke hoax thing, you know, I left it alone in the interview because I didn't want to spend too much time on that, in this show at least, because I did have a lot planned, but I can completely see how everything we know about radiation can be on point and the bombs dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima could have been propaganda, a super weapon type of thing. They aren't mutually exclusive. They don't have to be connected. And with that whole argument, see, Stanley Kubrick's movie, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, ties in here because there's a conspiratorial school of thought that Stanley Kubrick was brought into the club, and after that point in his career, he was revealing something in all of his movies. The moon landing hoax and the parts of The Shining... We all know what Eyes Wide Shut was about, and if you consider that he'd written AI about that kid robot and Haley Joe Osmond, that was a creepy movie that is very relevant now, but Steven Spielberg finished that one, so the message is of a different flavor. But if you've seen, like, Full Metal Jacket, there's clearly a revealing film about how the military treats its soldiers, and also the horrors of war in general, not a glorification really at all. 2001 A Space Odyssey, clearly open to interpretation, but deeply symbolic, might have been the movie that showed that he had the skills to pull off the moon landing. You got Barry Lyndon in there, too. I don't really know much about that one. I was 16, and I was too antsy to care about what that was, have not really revisited it, but Clockwork Orange is clearly about MK Ultra mind control and that kind of a reveal. So that only leaves Dr. Strangelove. And in the movie, which largely takes place just inside America's war room, Dr. Strangelove is a crazy German scientist who kind of describes exactly this type of thing. A super weapon of fear. And it's more illusionary than it seems. And so maybe there is something to all that. When you watch it again with that context, it is kind of fun. But in terms of people thinking that all of the radiation stuff is a hoax, I mean, that exists because I did recently watch two documentaries that were about the new hoax, and in both of them, they talked about this whistleblower, I think from the 40s, who was a nuclear scientist, and he was saying how nuclear radiation is not dangerous, and he would jump in the pools with the spent fuel rods and swim around to show that all this radiation danger is greatly exaggerated. So there is definitely a category of people who think nuclear radiation itself is not a problem, but there is probably a separate group who would agree with everything we talked about today, and they just think Japan was covered in Agent Orange rather than bombed. And I don't know which group is bigger, to be honest. And we're kind of getting into the real nitty-gritty details of various conspiratorial perspectives. And it can feel a bit silly, 
But I also do think it's important to comb back over everything we've seen in history, hold it up to the light, take nothing for granted. But on this issue, I am more inclined to think the truth is that many, many nukes have been detonated and lots of people have probably been affected and don't even know it. The atmosphere is probably completely fucked because of it. I mean, you can see lists of, I think, 2,000 nukes that have been detonated by the seven or eight countries that have done it. And I am open to a conspiracy of that scale. It could all be an illusion. But take the moon landing, where... I think that's even more epic, but it's only said to have been done six times as opposed to 2,000 and only by the same one group as opposed to over half a dozen countries. I don't know. Maybe we'll explore the topic deeper in a future show, but it's not an issue that really matters that much one way or another to me. I know a lot of geopolitical games are played around the idea of nukes, but it's not something that really alters my worldview either way. And it's really just a tangent when getting into the issue of cell phone radiation dangers, and I hope that you thought that was all worth talking about. I felt a little bad going back over this episode because it was way more conversational than usual. I ended a lot of my input with statements rather than questions, and that's not the norm, but I think I've just gotten comfortable with Sophia and got a bit casual with it. We did drop some good leads, though, if anyone wants to investigate the issue further. I probably want to read Dr. Carlo's book at least. Also, always good to dedicate some time to glyphosate, another serious issue that's almost too big to attack, another one I worry about. And then we actually had a story bubble up to mainstream news levels recently, where we had this formaldehyde scandal with the FDA. It's somehow been revealed that they suppressed data for a long time about how harmful formaldehyde is because it's in so, so many things. And this is the stuff that really gets me down and kind of paranoid. Whether it's food or electronics, I see the look on my wife's face sometimes when I start floating these ideas of possible new house rules where we only have hardwired internet and we have no Wi-Fi or let's not allow cell phones in the bedroom, and this kind of stuff. And she's a good sport. She's married to me. But these are hard issues to kind of force lifestyle changes around, you know? But I want to be informed. I want to keep checking in on this techno-eugenics agenda, what's being rolled out to us and all that jazz, and Sophia is a great guest to keep checking in with. Of course, if you just listened to the first free hour of the Higher Side Chats, you're missing half the show. Sign up for Plus and hear the full two-hour interviews today and every day. In this one, we got into Artificial Wombs and Kim Kardashian. We talked about Janice Barcelo, who was our guest about the hospital birth agenda. Well, she had a smart meter battle with the state of New York, and she was successful. And so we combed over all that how it relates to spiritual karma, and also the legal fiction straw man corporation thing, and the whole maritime law, commerce law issue, personhood. It's a big deal. And uh, there were some threads there that I thought were really interesting, tying them into cultural movements and things I never thought about before. Also got a major update on Morgellons and that condition and the things people are finding in their bodies and how this stuff is advancing. 
It's creepy, but these are just the times we're in. Go to thehiresidechatsplus.com and support the show you love and get twice as much of it in return. Thanks for all the support. Coming up on four years of Plus. I couldn't be happier. Let's keep this ride going strong. You keep tuning in. I'll keep trying to give you the goods, and I'll see you soon with another show. Until then, I've done my part. Your move, cell phone conspirators, sorcerers of the smart grid, and techno-eugenicists, your fucking move. Should